Awesome. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to be gathering with you this morning as we worship our awesome God together. Uh, it's my great joy to be with you. My name is Pastor Matt. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And I just want to welcome you here as we open God's Word together and hear from Him what He has to say for us as we continue in our series in Acts. Um, thank you, worship team, for leading us in song and worship through that. And uh, David Mean for leading our kids in family worship. We'll be continuing to pray for them as they go downstairs and learn from God's Word as well. I'm praying for the teachers even more so as they teach them. But again, it's a great joy to be with you as we continue in our series in Acts. You can turn with me to Acts 15. Uh, we're going to continue in that. Pastor Nate uh, did uh, Acts 15 all the way from verse 1 to 21, and now we're going to start in verse 22, going to verse 35. So if you find the book of Acts, it's kind of in more the back of the Bible. Uh, you can look for the big number, 15, that's your chapter, and then find the little number, 22, and that will be your verse. What are we united in as a church? What holds us together when things get difficult, when things get tough? Throughout our lives, there's lots of things that unite us in groups and unite us together. I played a lot of sports. I was on a lot of sports teams. And what often united us together is that we were on the same team and we had one goal. We wanted to win. We wanted to win the game. Uh, and last summer, I was on a house league soccer team, probably the most dysfunctional soccer team I've ever been on. Uh, first, the first game was good. We were united together. We had everyone showing up. We had enough players on the field, and we played our heart out. I think we won the game. I can't really remember. Uh, but we at least played well. We played good. Uh, and we were having some fun doing it together. But after kind of the weeks went on and on, we started to have less and less players show up. People started to get angry at each other. We weren't winning games. There was one point I remember that we were losing seven to nothing in the half. So we still had a, another half to go. And one of the players even said, they aren't even that good. We can definitely beat them. And in my head, I was thinking, first off, how delusional are you? Secondly, clearly they're better than us if they have seven points and it's only the first half. The reality is, is the commitment wasn't there. We didn't play together all that much, and the team wasn't showing up. We were often down players. It was summer, so it was hot out, uh, and we couldn't run for 90 minutes trying to score goals. What united us at first really started to fall apart. The passion, the teamwork, it didn't last, and what resulted was a dysfunctional, disengaged, uh, and often just a, a group of guys playing soccer on their own, pushing their own agenda and not really thinking of others on their team. In fact, often they were talking trash about their own team, which that doesn't help when you're trying to win a game together. And we run into issues like this all the time when we're united in a group because we have different opinions, we have different thoughts, we have all these different things when we're trying to work together. We'll run into issues like the one that we read about when we replace the gospel with something else to unite us. And we see that in the Antioch church when some uh, Judaizers are coming in, and we read about it last week, they told them that to truly be saved, they needed to follow the law of Moses, and specifically they needed to get circumcised. They needed to follow this law if they wanted to be saved, if they wanted to be united and part of the church. And it may seem like that kind of happened back then, but it might not happen as much now, but it does. It happens all the time in churches. 
Churches uniting over political movements or opinions or other ideologies or personal preferences even. It brings people together and it unites them together. But when churches and Christians unite over these things, the issue is that God's name gets dirtied. It's used as leverage for a human agenda as opposed to what God's will is. His truth gets tainted as his word is often thrown out to push what our own thoughts and ideas are. And the witness of the church withers down as its eyes are taken off Christ on the cross. See, these things that people often get to unite them together don't last, do they? At some point, what unites us will fade. It won't hold. The likes and dislikes, the preferences, even family ties that we have, experiences that we have, race, age, culture, sexuality, all these things fall apart at some point. It doesn't hold us when the going gets tough. And I pray that our church doesn't go this way. And so as we turn to God's word, let us come with humility. Let us come to see what should unite us as a church together and what our witness and our unity shows to those around us as we proclaim that we are Christ's and what Christ has done for us and the hope that the world can find in him. And so let's read from Acts 15, starting in verse 22, and then we'll pray together. Acts 15 says this, Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word, by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood, and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy God, I pray in our precious Savior Jesus' name, God, that you would make us just stand in awe of who you are. God, of your holiness, of your majesty, and your power as we hear from your word this morning. God, your word is truth, and may we see it rightly as that. God, may it be our foundation May it guide us in how we are to live. And so God, grant us a hunger for your truth. Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding. 
that we would know the meaning of this text and, God, how it points us to Jesus. Lord, increase our love for you and for one another. Help us to apply this passage to our lives today that we would be changed by your word, God, through the working of your Holy Spirit in us, that we'd be obedient followers of Christ. And Lord, help me to preach your word. God, to preach it with gentleness, with humbleness, as I rest, God, in what you have done, God, in what you have proclaimed. And God, I pray in all these things that you'd be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So as we turn to God's word, as we've heard last week, the apostles and elders discussed, and they came to a conclusion on this issue that came up from Antioch. Paul and Barnabas came from there because Judaizers are coming in and telling these Gentiles that they needed to get circumcised in order to be saved. And so Paul and Barnabas went to the Jerusalem church and they gathered together and they came to the decision that that was not the case. That, it was, uh, that they would be saved through grace in Jesus, through faith alone. And so... We see the conclusion of that and how it's then implemented into the church and how it's then applied into the church. And so we see it seemed good for them to then send this letter out, right? They made this decision. They now need to go and tell them what they decided on, right? It's wise. It's good to let them know and not just leave them waiting and trying to figure out this on their own. As they decided with Paul and Barnabas, along with these two other leaders from the Jerusalem church, they send them with this letter. See, this was a major issue that needed to be uh, decided on. It needed to be properly addressed and handled. And so the council brought together God's word. They discussed. They looked at Jesus' teaching as well and came to this conclusion. See, Paul and Barnabas were trying to evangelize to these Gentiles and telling them about what Jesus has done, but this was causing a wall. It was causing an issue within their missionary work. And so it needed to be addressed. It needed to be handled. This was a gospel issue, right? They were trying to make something human on par with Christ. They're trying to say, you need to do this because Jesus is not sufficient enough to actually save you. His sacrifice on the cross is not enough to actually save you which wasn't true. There's nothing more that needs to be done. The work was finished on the cross. Paul makes this issue more clear in Galatians 1. Uh, Galatians 1, 3-9, Paul says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. He opens the letter clearly with the gospel. Jesus came to save us, and it's through him alone that we are saved. This is part of God's plan. But he then continues, saying, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, because there isn't. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is strong language. Strong language because this is an important issue that needed to be addressed. 
Paul was saying, let there be divine consequence and judgment on anyone who would proclaim a gospel contrary to the one that Jesus had proclaimed. That he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And we can see God's love and forgiveness and mercy poured out through those who come in faith because of Jesus on the cross, who died and who rose again. See, because if they didn't deal with this, this would have great ramifications. If Christ was not sufficient, then there was something more that had to be done, but what was that, right? People could bring in any kind of truth. And so what is the foundation that they look on? They look on God's Word, right? James pointed to Amos, pointing even back to the Old Testament of how it pointed to God's plan to redeem a people to himself, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles as well. And so they send these four men to deal with this situation. They send these four men to the Antioch church, and they bring this letter. And so why do they send not just Paul and Barnabas? I mean, Paul and Barnabas, I think we're capable of bringing a piece of paper, hopefully, to the church, right? It's not too hard. But they sent Silas and Judas along with them. These were men from among the Jerusalem church, from among um, leading men among them, showing this gospel growth and understanding. They were leading, they were strong in their faith. And we'll see later that they're prophets, that they're speaking the word of God, directed by his inspiration of God to proclaim his will. See, this was to help avoid both a human issue and a gospel issue. A human issue because Paul and Barnabas had already tried to argue and uh, discuss why the Gentiles didn't need to get circumcised. But they still sent them back. They still sent them to go and confirm with the Jerusalem church. And so they decided to send someone to represent the Jerusalem church, right? To say that this isn't just Paul and Barnabas who are saying this. This is us who are saying this, right? The apostles, those who had seen Jesus, who had been with Jesus, those uh, from whom the church has been flowing out of, right? As it's been growing and continuing on. And so they sent Judas and Silas as representatives of the Jerusalem church. To say that it wasn't a one-sided thing. This wasn't just Paul and Barnabas' hope and their decision. It was a decision amongst the brothers of the church together. It was something that was decided in unity together. And don't we often want to hear the news from the source, right? We want to hear it from that very person, right? It's Hard to fully trust if we don't hear news right from the person that is telling it, right? That's gossip or that's hearsay or uh, from a third party of some kind. Um, Just this past week, we were at the pastor's conference, uh, and they were giving out free books. And uh, one of the leaders from Feb came and was telling me, I was in another group, and they are saying, oh, you can go grab books, you can grab whatever you want, Uh, I then kind of got back with our group, with our pastors, and I told Chris, Pastor Chris, that he uh, could grab any books that he wanted, and he was very hesitant. He didn't want to grab any books because he wasn't sure if he could actually just take a book that was there, but I was like, no, no, no. One of the leaders from Feb told me, and so he kind of hesitantly started to grab some books, and as we went out, we saw the same guy who had told me that I could grab books, and Chris said, oh, thanks for letting us. I just wanted to make sure if I could actually take any books. I was a little offended. I was a little offended <laughs> that, uh, that he didn't trust me. He didn't trust my word. 
he thought I was playing a trick on him or something. But I, I commend him, right? He wanted to get the truth from the source. He wanted to get the truth from the right source, right? But did God not do this for us as well? Can we not trust him at, at his word and his source because he gave it to us? Right? He gave us his word, and his word became flesh. He gave us Christ. Right in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Continuing in verse 8, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That God sent us the source he sent us Jesus, the Son of God. This eternal creation unity as a triune God before time began to accomplish the salvation through Jesus Christ, God the Son, by his crucifixion on the cross. Though he did not sin, though he lived a sinless life, he died in the place of those who would believe in him. And they would be saved, they'd be forgiven, they'd be shown grace and mercy because he did not stay dead, but he rose again and he conquered death and we have hope in his name when we trust in him. What an encouragement that is. What an amazing truth that is. And this is the truth that these leaders are trying to bring back to the Gentiles to say there is nothing else that needs to be done. The work has been finished. Christ is sufficient. And that is what unifies us. And so... As a church, they decided in unity to send these men with the letter that was to address this gospel disunity that was created by the Judaizers. And I'm sure the church was anxiously waiting for news, right? They had to travel all the way down, have a discussion, and then travel all the way back up. So it wasn't a short time, right? They were sitting on this in anticipation, possibly in anxiety or nervousness, right? This was a gospel issue. This would make or break the unity that they would have with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, we see what this letter actually said. We see what the council said. As they send these men off, Luke shows us what the letter says. They send from the brothers, both the apostles and others, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria. They send Paul, Barnabas, Judas, and Silas with this letter. And it begins with this greeting, with this familial language saying, from the brothers. What an encouragement that would be hearing first off, right? Not from the Jerusalem church, but from the brothers. United as they're adopted into God's family together. To the brothers and sisters, to this church in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. Right? What an encouragement to refer to them with such a familial language. We see that this wasn't just a concern for the Antioch church, but even the areas around it, right? Syria and Cilicia were right around Antioch. 
And this was going to have repercussions if it wasn't dealt with, not just with there, but surrounding areas as well, with all Gentiles who are seeking to follow by faith in Christ and commit to the local church. By calling them brothers and sisters, it showed already what they were united in. Right? Many would have been cast off from their own families because of what they believed. Right? Due to their decision to follow Christ, but God doesn't leave us on our own when we are saved. Amen. What a great truth. We are adopted into his family. We are adopted together as brothers and sisters. Him, our good and heavenly Father, one another, brothers and sisters together in Christ. Through the unity of even, that even our blood family can't hold, Jesus unites us by grace through faith in him to God and to one another. What a great truth that is. It's such a joy to be gathering with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, with the pastor's conference, I had met guys who I'd never known before, and even through a short conversation, they started to pray for me. Praying for uh, our ministry, praying for my personal life, uh, praying for you. What a beautiful blessing that pours out from the unity that's found in the gospel. That even though we're in different areas, different churches, serving in different ways, Jesus unites us together and drives us to pray for one another, to encourage one another. And here we are able to gather together, one body, many parts, coming together in unity to worship our awesome God, right? Raising up our voices in worship, praying together, giving to one another loving one another, reading and listening to God's word together. Right? What an encouraging picture to see. And I'm thankful to God for you, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can encourage and pray for one another. Right? That's what we're called to as a church, to be unified in this. Not because we have similar likes, not because we watch the same TV shows, not because we like the same sports team, but because Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. He paid that price and he united us together as one body that we could proclaim with one voice, holy and awesome is our God who brings us together through the blood of Christ. This letter was making clear what was coming from the apostles and leaders and what wasn't. Right? Some persons, they say, have gone out from us although we gave them no instructions. Right? The Jerusalem church didn't send these Judaizers to spread this false gospel. They had gone out from the Jerusalem church and spread it on their own, on their own will, on their own agenda. The council and the church wanted to make it clear that this wasn't from them, that this wasn't them that ordered it, that this wasn't from God, but this was a false gospel. And those who spread it, as Paul says later on in Galatians, should be accursed, right? Strong language. It was not of Christ. And it's an important warning, I think, for us of what we actually say, the truth and words that we say, because it affects other people. We need to be sure that we are firm in God's word, that we know truly what God's word says, and that we live that out, because it can trouble, we can trouble others with our words, we can unsettle their minds, we can make them think that they are not saved, or that they do not know Christ. They make it clear that the church was troubled. And I would be the same way. 
if someone said, no, you need to do more to be saved, that Christ isn't enough, right? When I hear false teaching, when I hear a false gospel that is clearly against God's word, it, it unsettles me. It troubles me. But it troubled them even more because they were new to faith. They weren't really sure what was quite true, right? They had heard one side, they heard this other, and they needed to know what did God truly say, Right, those settled in the truth of the gospel, this twisting truth caused them to question and be unsettled over what is true. And so I encourage you to hold firm in tr- the truth of the true gospel. Don't be steered away in your faith by lies of the devil or by others who are trying to rock your faith. If you're truly living in the truth of the gospel, hold firm to Christ. God is holding on to you, and he does not lose any who are his. We can rest in that truth. God holds us. In John 6, 39, it says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So I encourage you to first hold firm in the gospel, but then also I implore you to be careful of what truth you give and how you live that out. If you're claiming to be a Christian, your words, your thoughts, your actions are a witness to those around you, not just within the church, but also within the world. Of the Holy Spirit in you, of your faith in Christ, of your understanding and submission to God's word. Right? Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The way we live and how we react to situations in our life, to sin in our life even, right? In repentance and in forgiveness is a witness to the world around us. We shouldn't be ones who are trying to get revenge and get back at others. Right? We should seek forgiveness. We should seek unity. Right? Do not trouble others with words and truth not from God's word. Do not unsettle the minds of others by placing a heavier yoke on them than the one that Christ calls each of us to. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, one of my favorite verses. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right, the Jerusalem church and this council, along with Paul and Barnabas and others, they didn't want to put a heavier yoke on the Gentiles because Jesus didn't call them to that. And neither should we. Right? We should call people to what Jesus calls them to, which is to come to them, come to him, to take his yoke upon them and not lay a heavier burden than faith alone in Christ to believe in him, to rest in his sacrifice, that it was sufficient. So let us be careful of our words and the things that we say as a church. As a witness to those around us, brothers and sisters in Christ, but as a witness to those in the world as well. So they continue on in this letter. It seemed good to us. It seemed right and encouraging. It seemed the right motivation as those united on this decision to send back Paul and Barnabas, right, representing the Gentile church in Antioch. 
who have been on mission to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, right? risking their lives, walking an example of what those who are called uh, to live for Christ to be like. Right? They have been slandered, they've been beaten, they've been stoned, yet continue to preach the gospel. The Jerusalem church were clear to affirm their unity with Paul and Barnabas, right? to say what they are doing is good and is right and is of God. They are going and they are risking their very lives for the sake of the gospel. I pray, church, that this would be our heart in sharing the good news. May we stake our life for the sake of others' eternal lives. What are we willing to sacrifice for the sake of others to know this good news of Jesus? Jesus said it would cost to follow him. Have we counted that cost? Are we willing to stake our life on sharing the good news of Christ with others? Are we willing to stake uh, our friendships, our relationships that we hold so dear for the sake of following Jesus? Are we willing to stake our jobs, our finances, our freedoms for the sake of Jesus to be known to those who still need to hear the good news of the gospel? Jesus commands us to go into all nations, baptizing and teaching them all that he commanded. Are we willing to go and do that? Are we willing to listen to our commander? Church, I pray that we could be that church. And I hope that you are praying that with me. A church that shares the gospel boldly, that baptizes and that proclamation of what God has done in our lives, discipling people in the truth of the Bible, sending them out uh, to fruitfully live in the Holy Spirit and sending out missionaries and church planners to go and continue the growth of the kingdom. Or do we want to be just comfortable in our lives? Just happy, going day by day, doing our thing. I know that's easier for me. Sounds a lot easier, right? To just be at home and enjoy what we have here. But the reality is, is that there are people who have not heard the truth of the gospel. There are people who need to hear this, to hear that they are on the road to hell because of their sins against the holy God. But there is hope, and there is good news. Church, let us be bold in our proclamation. Like Paul and like Barnabas, let us stake our life on going and doing what God has called us to And so they send Paul and Barnabas and they send Judas and Silas and they commend uh, Judas and Silas as well, saying that they will explain in person what the letter is saying and will deal with this controversy as representatives of the Jerusalem church, as leaders from there. Again, to be able to hear from that source, right? To be able to hear that the Jerusalem church and Paul and Barnabas are in unity together. All four as eyewitnesses of the council are going to meet with the church and share this letter and discuss and explain that they don't need to get circumcised. They don't need to follow along with the law to truly be saved. But they have put something in place, not for the sake of salvation, but for the sake of unity amongst the church. That it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us, so together with God, as they took time and wisdom and prayer, calling upon God to lead them well, to put no greater burden than these requirements. Right? And as I said, these requirements weren't 
so that they could be saved, but for the sake of their witness, for the sake of their example, for the sake of keeping Christian unity amongst one another. Right? There are things that we do as a church and things that we don't do as a church for the sake of one another, right? For the sake of not causing one another to stumble in certain ways. And this is the same sort of situation. As they looked to God's word, as they prayed and as they discussed, as they rested in the Holy Spirit actively moving through them, they wanted to teach that, the sound doctrine to keep a close watch on themselves and their teaching, but to lay no greater burden than what James had said in Acts 15. That they'd abstain from things polluted by idols, or food sacrificed to idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood, things that related to the Mosaic law. But the purpose was is that there was many generations of Jewish people within the cities around them, and this would put a hindrance on their witness. To put it more simply, they really just said, no more idolatry, no more immorality, no bloodshed, and no eating of food sacrificed to idols. We see these principles in Leviticus 17 and Leviticus 18, and it wasn't for salvific reasons for them to be saved, but for gospel unity and healthy fellowship. It was a no-offense policy. Right? We, they didn't want to offend those around them within the church, and they want to offend those around them in the Jewish, uh, the Jewish communities. Right? The purpose was to show grace to those who may be offended. Right? It wasn't a gospel issue. It was so that they could be worthy as an example. Right? Caring not for themselves anymore and what they thought, but seeking to keep unity with one another. Paul in 1 Corinthians puts it very well when he says uh, in chapter 9, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Right? Paul didn't want certain things to be a hindrance to him proclaiming the gospel, but he was sure and certain of what was the true gospel. Right? He didn't compromise on that. But he saw ability to compromise, he would in order to not create a higher barrier to reach those and win them over. Right? That God might be at work in their hearts as he shares the good news with them. Right? How often do we think of how our life exemplifies Christ for the sake of others' faith? Right? Both in the church and in witness to the world around us. If I'm honest, I often been very selfish and think about myself and think about how my faith is and what I'm doing and just how it affects me. But the reality is, is as one body, if I do something wrong or if I do something that hurts me, it hurts all of us. But do we think that way? Do we see God's church and God's people functioning that way? Do we see how that hurts not just my own witness to other people, but other people's witness, right? As you go and share and you say, hey, I'm from Nowood, I go to this church, it's great, it's a gospel-preaching church, and then they hear, oh, isn't that the place where Pastor Matt is who did such and such, right? It affects our witness, it affects our example. 
The things that we do affects one another. Because we're one body, we're united in Christ together. Right? If, a great example is if someone's dieting, you don't bring a whole bunch of McDonald's over to their house all the time. Right? That's tempting them into something that they don't want to do. Right? There's nothing wrong with not dieting. There's nothing wrong with dieting. But you want to help your brother or sister. Right? He's working towards that. Because it's good to pursue physical health. Right? The Bible's clear on that. But sometimes we can even go out of our way to intentionally cause others to stumble. May that not be us, I pray. May we not go out of our way to cause others to stumble. Let God's word be our authority. Let us seek unity in the gospel and not intentionally cause a brother or sister to stumble in something that is not gospel truth. Right? That's not a huge issue that we make an extravagant issue. Let us walk together in unity. Right? If we keep ourselves from these things, we will do well. And that's what they say in the end of the letter. If you keep yourselves from these things, if you seek the unity of the church, if you rest in the gospel, you will do well. You'll do well as a church. You'll do well in your individual walk with Christ. Right? This isn't saying you'll do well as in material blessings. You'll get lots of money and things will go really well. It's saying you'll have these spiritual blessings. Your walk with God will be closer. There'll clearly be hardships and suffering and persecution, but you'll have hope and encouragement. You'll have brothers and sisters who are walking with you, who are united with you to walk through this together. The reality is living as God has wisely commanded wasn't just for the sake of obedience, but because this is wellness that comes with living for God. Right? Idols leave us empty when we give them our love and our attention, when we give them our worship. They take over our love and they don't pay back the same. They don't fulfill. Right? One of those idols being sexual immorality. Right? If, there's a, if you have an issue with sexual immorality, I pray that you take account of that, that you repent of that, that you seek God in that, you seek forgiveness in that, because that will rip you apart. And it won't just hurt you, it will hurt those around you. These instructions are pointing to a heart of love for God that flowed out of that into all the things that this church did. These obediences are for the sake of yourself and for the sake of others as well. Living in these ways can affect our relationship as, with God as we live. If we live in disobedience to Him, it will, it will very much so hurt how you view Him, how you see Him, how you worship, and how you live out for him. And so I encourage you, church, keep walking in obedience. Keep walking in these things that God has called us to. Put away idols. Put away sexual immorality. Care for one another. Abstain from the things that God calls us not to, not just because of obedience, yes, obedience, but because God is wise in what he calls us to and why he wants us to live the way that we do. There's greater unity in relationship with God, with Christ, and will flow into how we live for others. If we know God's forgiveness, if we know his sacrifice, how can I not forgive my brother or sister? If I know the reality of God's patience and grace, how can I not be patient and gracious with one another? It will bring about greater unity and relationship within the church, a greater witness to the world. 
And so fight for the unity of the gospel and do well in these things because it will turn out well for us spiritually as we continue to walk through the suffering that comes in this life lived out for Christ. And so that was the end of the letter. And we're told that they are sent off, Paul, Barnabas, Silas, and Barsabbas. And they go to the Antioch church. And having gathered the congregation together, they deliver this letter. And when they read it, the church rejoices because of the encouragement. I'm sure after hearing this letter, there was a huge sigh of relief. Especially from the men in the crowd. Perhaps, perhaps a few, a few amens after those who were too preemptive before the word came back from the letter. They tried to act upon the call to get circumcised. I feel bad for those guys who were a bit too preemptive. But the response is rejoicing in its encouragement. Gospel truth brings encouragement, does it not? It leads to rejoicing. It leads to joy. It leads to hope. Right? Judas and Silas brought about encouragement. They were directed by the inspiration of God to proclaim his will and speak his word as they continued to share with the brothers and sisters these many words that strengthened and encouraged them as they heard from the letter and as they heard from them. Right? They pointed to Jesus. They pointed to his teaching, to his example, to the gospel, and to the fulfillment of the word in Christ. Do you remember hearing the good news of the gospel for the first time? When you truly understood who God is and what he had done. The encouragement and joy that brings when we realize that we can't save ourselves, but God did something in order to save us. And that something wasn't just this little something, it was huge. He sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins. And he rose again. And he calls us in faith alone. No works of our own, no merit of our own, no kind of ability or, or culture. Right? You didn't have to be Jewish. This is for whoever comes to him. It wasn't an exclusive kingdom. It was those who come in faith to God. This encouragement and joy that, brings, that the gospel brings to your life every second of every day, regardless of your circumstance. It's good news because there's no strings attached to this free gift of God through faith in Jesus. Do you remember that joy, that peace, that hope? Because this brought about encouragement and strength to the church as they heard the good news of the gospel. Right? Is that not why we gather together? To strengthen and encourage one another as we worship God as one. Did the truth of God's word not encourage and strengthen us? as we come from troubling weeks and have our eyes fixed back up on God, the one who is sovereign over all things, the one who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is creator, who is above all. Right? It encourages us. The gospel encourages growth as we see it in one another, as God is working in one another. I'm so thankful for those who pour into me and encourage me and say, you know, things might be rough right now, but Matt, I've seen growth in you. Church, I've seen growth in us. And that is all thanks to God. That is thanks to what God has been doing by
by His Spirit, through His Word, as we faithfully seek Him in His Word and rest in the truth of the Gospel. Sometimes we need a heavier word, but sometimes we really just need encouragement to keep going, to persevere, to rest in Christ. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another. Encourage one another in the growth that you see through the Holy Spirit in them. And the gospel gives us strength because our hope is not in this world. It's not in the things that this world offers us, but in what Christ has offered us. Eternal life with God. A hope that we can look ahead to. Strength for today, right? And bright hope for tomorrow. In Exodus 15, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Right? God gives us strength to continue each and every day in the truth of the gospel because of what he has done in Christ. And so they brought about this letter, and this unity that comes from the gospel brings encouragement. It brings strength. And so the church sends uh, off Silas and Barnabas in peace. Or sorry, Barsabbas. But Paul and Barnabas remain because what we're going to see next is that they have another mission to go on, a second missionary trip. And we'll see in the next few weeks as they go about that, continuing from here, right? Having established this, that the gospel is through faith alone, they're going to go and proclaim all the more of this faith in Jesus and what that brings, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well. Encouragement and strength in the saving message of the gospel. <clears throat> but what does this all mean for us? The true gospel of Jesus preserves the unity and joy amongst the church. The gospel preserves that. It keeps that. It holds that firm. If you remember my soccer team, that lack of commitment and care for one another and for the team and what we were united in together, when it actually came to the final tournament, we didn't even have a team. I had to join another team to actually play in the tournament. We didn't have enough players. We didn't have enough people that even showed up. Let's not be like my soccer team as a church. They weren't even committed to come out to play the game. Is the gospel not way, way, way more important than a house league soccer game? Yes. Amen. <laughs> right? The Holy Spirit uses the gospel to convict us of our sin and repentance and faith, to convert us to a more Christ-like character, and commit us to obedience to God and to a church, to unite us in witnessing out of the gospel. It holds us together as a church. And so I ask, what are we united in? I pray that you search in your own heart. You ask God to search your heart. What are you uniting in when you come in church? Is it salvation and unity? Right? The gospel transcends everything else. There's nothing stronger than the gospel. The gospel unites the most diverse and unalike together. It brings joy and hope amongst one another. And so are you encouraging one another 
in your faith? Or are you discouraging? Are you pointing one another to the gospel? Or are you pointing them to something else? Are you uniting over your likes and dislikes, your preferences? Or are you uniting over the truth that Jesus came and died for our sins and rose again? Are we aware of what unites us and are we living in that? And secondly, what is our witness like? Right? Claiming to be Christ, claiming to be a Christian means that we are to live differently. The gospel transforms our hearts. It leads us into obedience to God. Not to save ourselves, but in light of what God saved us from. In light of who God is. That he is deserving of our obedience. If we claim to be Christ and then live in unrepentant sin, acting in an immoral way that doesn't reflect God's heart and character, it doesn't reflect other Christians' heart and character, this isn't just a stumbling for you, it's, it's trashing your own witness, and it's trashing the witness of the church and your fellow brothers and sisters around you. And so be aware, be careful, be vulnerable, repent. If there are things in your life that you need to get a hold of, of sin that you need to confess of, a sin that you need to take account of and get help with. That is why we are here, is to help one another in this, to point each other to God's Word, to point each other to the Gospel, and deal with the sin in our lives. Because it affects our witness, and it affects what we reflect of God. And so are we witnessing? Is the Gospel showing in your life? Are you proclaiming what God has done to those around you? Are you thinking about others when you consider your actions and witness? Because I want us to remember that the true gospel of Jesus is sufficient in salvation and sufficient in keeping unity. It preserves that unity and the joy amongst the church. And we see how that plays out in Acts 15. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your truth. God, we thank you for the truth of the gospel and how it unites us together. God, we thank you for how it transforms our hearts and our lives. God, to worship and proclaim you. God, to walk in obedience to you. God, I pray that by your spirit you would help us. God, to be aware of the unity that we ought to have. God, not in anything else but the gospel. And may that be the central thing that unites us together. For God, nothing else holds like the gospel does. Of what Christ has done on the cross for our sins. God, may we be aware of our witness and what our life is showing of the faith that we have in you. God, as we read, God, if we do not live in righteousness, God, we do not know you. God, if there's sin in our life, help us to repent. Help us to turn from that sin. Help us to fight that sin. God, to kill that sin in our lives. God, for the sake of your name to not be slandered or blasphemed. God, let us turn to your word and see that your word is good and true. God, continue to work in our hearts as a church by your spirit. God, for your glory and honor. Amen. Amen. Amen.